Turning this afternoon to the book of Ezra, the book of Ezra chapter 3 and verse number 8. If I have overlooked anything, forgive me, but Ezra chapter 3 and verse number 8. Bible says now in the second year of their coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem in the second month began Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua the son of Josedek and the remnant of their brethren the priests and the Levites and all they that were come out of the captivity unto Jerusalem and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. Then stood Jeshua with his sons and his brethren, Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah together, to set forward the workmen in the house of God, the sons of Hanadad with their sons and their brethren the Levites. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by chorus in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good. And he's still good. He's still good. For his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. I want to talk to you for a little while this afternoon on this simple subject, celebrating the foundation, celebrating the foundation. That's right. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for your seated today. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated. I had the privilege earlier this year to do something that I had wanted to do for many years. In fact, it was my father's dream, and he never uh, got to accomplish it, but I had an opportunity uh, to go on a trip to Israel. Brother and Sister Johnny King put a trip together. And uh, my son caught wind of it and decided that I just had to go. And so anyway, make a long story short, my wife and I went, my son went, 
I think he kind of finagled that just so he could go, but, uh, and, and others. And there are some here that were with us on that tour as well. I'm going to do something here today that I've never done before. I haven't even done it at home. And that is I'm going to make use of some photos that I took on this trip. Don't worry, I'm not going to give you a pictorial tour uh, of our trip. But there is something that I want to introduce to you today that was new to me. I wasn't aware of it. And so I'm going to make use of some pictures. But we had been to the northern part of the country of Israel. We stayed uh, several days in Tiberias on the uh, Sea of Galilee. Uh, many others of you have visited Israel and you've, you're familiar with all this, but I recommend it. I recommend it highly to every preacher to go sometime to Israel. It will completely alter and change your perception of a lot of things. When you get to actually see the lay of the land and you get to match up what you read in the Word of God to the actual locations, uh, then it helps to put a lot of things into perspective. And so much of it was interesting, uh, all of it actually, but we'd been several days there. And then I think on the fourth day or fifth, we relocated down to the city of Jerusalem. And it was a several hour bus ride from where we had been. And so I knew where we were going and I was looking forward to uh, going to Jerusalem for the first time and uh, you know somewhat familiar with it through pictures and reading things and whatever but we're going on this uh, pretty modern highway and it is weaving its way through the hills and kind of making its way upward nonetheless when we came around a curve and there was the city of Jerusalem it took my breath away and uh, maybe everybody doesn't have the same reaction, but that's the way it impacted me. As I saw that beautiful, ancient city, the most coveted and fought over city in the history of the world. And the tour bus first went to a hill on the other side of a valley overlooking the city. And we got to look at it from that vantage point and take pictures. And there were a number of us in the tour group that had tears streaming down our faces involuntarily as we looked at that city. If you could put the first picture up, uh, please, see if this works. I don't know how well you can see, but this is kind of the view that we had of the old part of the city of Jerusalem. You can see there to the right the gold domed mosque of Omar that sits, they say, at the site of where Abraham offered Isaac and where the original temple used to stand. That's the Temple Mount. But what I want to really direct your attention to are the walls, the walls that are there. Those are very ancient walls have been standing, those walls, for many hundreds of years. And so, you know, in ancient times, of course, they made much use of masonry and stones. And I was impressed when I looked at these walls at the sheer size of these stones. If you can give us the next picture, please. And uh, when you look at it a little more carefully, you see that they are 
quite sizable stones. We're not talking about cement blocks or bricks, but large stones. It would have taken more than Bill and Bob to lift, I promise you. And when I looked at these stones on these walls, then it really impressed on me uh, how huge an assignment that Nehemiah had when he returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls around the city. It was a huge task that would have required very intricate scaffolding, no doubt, and a work of engineering and perhaps system of pulleys to lift these quite large blocks of stone up into place. These walls had to be able to stand for a long time. They also had to be able to withstand battering rams and other uh, machinery of war when the city would be under assault and attack by the enemy. And, uh, and, and so they had to be walls that were defensible and would protect the city. And so these are very significant stones then it really puts into perspective of why that whenever Nehemiah went with the remnant, that the enemies there, Sanballat and Tobias, they scoffed at the whole project. And they said, what do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish whence they are burned. And uh, they made fun of them and said, even if they accomplish it, if a fox goes up and leans against it, it will fall. But Nehemiah just kept his mind on his mission and on his task. And he kept the people united and focused. And in spite of numerous attempts and efforts that the enemy made to come against them, to infiltrate them, to demoralize them, and to distract them from the project, they kept at it. And it is an awesome miracle when you consider the enormity of this task, how big these stones were and how big these walls and how high they were to read in the Word of God, so the wall was finished in 52 days. I've known of kitchen remodeling projects that took longer than that. 52 days and they put these walls back up around Jerusalem. I'm telling you, when you've got an assignment from God and when God has your back, it doesn't matter how impossible that it might seem, how formidable the task, you can accomplish it. And the Bible said when it was done, that the wall was finished, that they, the enemy, were much cast down in their own eyes because they perceived that this work was wrought of God. Let me tell you something, home missions pastor. You don't have to be intimidated at the size of your task. If God puts you there, he'll give you the resources. He'll give you the wherewithal. You'll be able to accomplish the mission that God gave you to accomplish. Give the Lord a hand clap, everybody. What of particular interest to me through the years has been the, uh, the ancient temple of Solomon, which is still regarded today as one of the most extraordinary 
uh, structures that has ever been erected. It is estimated that if the Temple of Solomon was to be duplicated today, it would cost in excess of $5 billion. That's billion with a B. $5 billion to duplicate the Temple of Solomon. And this is due uh, in large part, of course, to the lavish amounts of gold that was used, the extravagant use of the cedars of Lebanon, and massive amounts of masonry that was drawn from stone quarries in the mountains and brought over to the site, not to mention the degree of extraordinary craftsmanship and artistry that went into this structure. And, and it was such that when the Queen of Sheba came and, and she saw it, she, she had no words. It was like it took her breath away and there was no spirit in her because of the magnificence of this structure. In fact, Solomon, I believe, had declared that the house would be exceeding magnificent. It would exceed anything that had been done before. You know, we call it Solomon's Temple but really it was David's vision. And David is the one that had begun the task. It was David's vision to build a house for the Lord. And although God had prevented him from doing it himself, he nevertheless dedicated the remaining years of his life to prepare for this structure. So that the Bible says in 1 Chronicles chapter 22 that David commanded to gather together the strangers that were in the land of Israel and he set masons to wrought stones to build the house of God. To hew wrought stones. These were dressed stones that were already carved and made to the proper dimensions that would then be able to be utilized in the house of God. When Solomon then took over the project, 1 Kings chapter 5 tells you, and this is amazing, I want you to, I want you to catch these figures. He had 80,000 hewers of stone in the quarries. 80,000. Can you imagine how many people and what what massive amounts of logistics involved just to support that kind of manpower? 80,000 hewers of stone and 70,000 carriers along with 3,600 foremen. Uh, so large and so vast and so impressive was this task. You can get an idea of what it was today when you go in Jerusalem to what is called the Western Wall. If you put the next picture up, amen. The Western Wall is there to your right. It's also called the Wailing Wall. This wall is made up today of stones that originally were part of the walls of the original Temple of Solomon so that you can get an idea of just what those stones were like. If you'll give me the next picture, I think this shows some of our group uh, praying up against that wall. You can see then, in conjunction to the people, the size of these stones and what it would have taken to transport them 
from the quarries in the mountains all the way to the city of Jerusalem and set them in place. Some of these stones are larger than these men that are standing up against it. By the way, let me just pause here a moment and say this. That, uh, you know, maybe I'm just being spooky about it, but to me there was an aura there. I'm, I'm not trying to uh, make something out of what isn't, but to me there was an aura at that place. And we all went there and we spent a few moments to pray, not just because it was the thing to do, but what kept coming to me is that these stones, since they had been a part of the original temple of Solomon, I read in my Bible that when that temple was dedicated, that the glory of the Lord filled the house. And it was such that the priests themselves had to get out because they could not stand it. Hallelujah. Amen. These stones had at one time experienced the raw glory of God in a way, amen, that maybe other things had not been. And, and I tell you what, you just felt something there. And it made me think of one of our headquarters buildings when I was growing up in Sao Paulo, Brazil as a missionary's kid. It was a small church, but but uh, that was uh, a place where, where God met with us on many, many occasions. It's also at the same location where I received the Holy Ghost when I was seven years old and was baptized in Jesus' name. We had powerful services there. I remember communion services where everybody was on their face. And when my dad would preach on the oneness of the Godhead and the glory of God would fill that uh, building. When it was later sold and it was torn down, you don't have to believe this if you don't want to, but whenever it was torn down, the workmen that were involved in tearing the building down said as they ripped the walls down, they could hear the sound of people singing and praying. Somehow it had made its way saturated into the very materials. Oh, you know what? I believe it. I read in the book of Isaiah, the sixth chapter, in the year that King Uzziah died, uh, Isaiah said, I went into the house of God, and I saw also the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and there were seraphims flying around, and they were crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the Bible said the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. The very building was reacting to the presence of God. Oh, I wish the glory of God would come down in this place this afternoon and shake this very building around us. Can you lift your hands and just praise him, praise him, praise him. Come on, worship the Lord for just a moment. Praise God. Give me the next picture, please. It gives us a close-up of some of these stones. There they are. Amen. Quite large. Quite large. And, and this was uh, touching and impressive enough. And I'm going to get to where I'm going here in a little bit, but... But then, this is where the surprise was. This was where the surprise was. They took our group down over to the side, and we went down a series of steps. 
And as we walk down a corridor, give me the next picture, please. This is what met our eyes. What you are looking at here is a original foundation stone of the Temple of Solomon. I want you to look at the size, the massive dimensions of that stone. There is a whole corridor of them there. They are virtually the size of boxcars. And give me the next picture. You can look at this, this here. Look at the size of that one stone. Hear me now. It is 41 feet long. 41 feet long. It is estimated to weigh 500 tons, which is a million pounds, ladies and gentlemen. A million pounds. I read that there is no single piece of machinery in the world today that could lift that stone. And yet they brought it out of the quarries and transported it many miles across the valleys and up a ramp and set it in its place. It and all its companion foundation stones. Colossus, huge, unimaginable, the task of cutting these stones, of hoisting them out of their place, of raising them out of the quarries, of transporting them through a great distance over to the Temple Mount and raising it up and then setting it down when there is no piece of machinery today that could hoist it. Let's you know how many thousands of people would have been involved in the transporting of just a stone like that and moving it probably took weeks if not months and I can just picture in my mind this procession as it moved along just inches at a time bringing these great foundation stones I also can imagine that at the time that it was decided that they would be uh, this size and then they actually started cutting them I'm sure that there were those among them that said, you know what, it would be easier and a lot more feasible if we would cut these up in two or three pieces at least and bring them over, then it would not be such a logistical challenge. Which means that undoubtedly there had to be some pretty compelling and convincing voices, perhaps of the architects, and that said, no, this is the size that we need. This is what we have got to have. And we will settle for nothing less. Maybe it required a decree from King Solomon himself to say, if this is what the architect determined is necessary, this is what we will have. No matter how big the task, no matter how large the stone, no matter how much it weighs, no matter what difficulty is involved in transporting it, we will get it done. 
And there it is, ladies and gentlemen, thousands of years later. Y'all listening to me today? Praise the Lord. Now, amen, these great stones that made up the foundation. Uh, you know, the temple, as we know, was destroyed. And uh, I showed you how big the stones were on the walls. It would take a tremendous amount of malice and intent and concerted effort just to knock the walls down because of the size of the stones. In fact, give me the next picture. And you will see here a picture of a, of a man standing by some of those stones that are just piled up there today. You see how large they were? Uh, oh, Fred couldn't push those stones down by himself. It took a lot of the enemy to knock those stones down and destroy the temple and tear down its walls. Praise the Lord. But I tell you what, they never moved. They never moved a 500-ton foundation stone. It would have been impossible for them to have moved a 500-ton foundation stone. Go back to that previous picture, please. Amen. And so, you know, they may have wanted to, but they didn't have the wherewithal. In fact, today, it would take a tremendous amount of explosives, if not an atomic bomb itself, to move that stone. Here's the other amazing part of it is that these stones had to arrive intact, undamaged, because there was no sound of hammer or chisel heard on the construction site. And yet they fit perfectly together. There was a tremendous amount of forethought and effort in laying these foundation stones. It could have been done in a more budget way, in a more feasible way, in a more logical way, but they made it and they laid them to last for a long time and they are still there today. Now, I read to you in the book of Ezra, where the Bible says that the reconstruction of the temple, that when the people saw the foundation laid again, I read that this is likely the top layer of the foundation, which was most uh, affected by the fire and the, the destruction and mayhem that occurred at ground level, but that these primary fundamental foundation stones stayed intact. They never moved. Nonetheless, when the foundation had been repaired, as we read in our text, it was such a momentous time and such a great event. They didn't wait for the building to be finished. They called for a celebration right then. They got the musicians and the singers together and the people shouted with a great shout because the foundation had been laid again. Ladies and gentlemen, the foundation is still important today. And I've got good news for you. We're a part of something that has a firm foundation. Earlier in our trip, we went to a place called Caesarea Philippi. 
Caesarea Philippi. There's two Caesareas. There's Caesarea by the sea. This is where Cornelius lived when Peter went and preached the truth to him. It's right on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. We went there the first day. But then there is Caesarea Philippi. It is in land. It's in the northern part of the country. It's at the foothills of Mount Hermon that Brother uh, Joel Booker was preaching about uh, just earlier in the minister session today. And the snows that are on Mount Hermon, they melt and they come down the hills. And there are springs also that come out of the ground. And it is, uh, uh, the, the, it is the, uh, the place where uh, parts of the Jordan River are born. And so, if you'll give me the next picture, fast forward to the picture. Yes, that picture. Amen. Then here we come at Caesarea Philippi. And there is this stone mount with this gaping hole. Now, they told us that in ancient times and in the times of the Lord... There was much paganism and idolatry here, and they would cast human sacrifices off of the top of this mount down into the open mouth of that cave. There were also pagan temples there to the side, several of them, one of the main ones being to the god Pan. And there was uh, water down below in that cave and springs that would come out farther down under the ground. And the human sacrifices as they were cast off into that open mouth, uh, you know, sometimes they would hit rock uh, as they would fall and so on. But if, if blood appeared in the water down below, then it would mean that uh, the gods had not accepted the sacrifice. But if no blood appeared, then the gods had accepted the sacrifice. It all seems a little ridiculous to us now. But in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, to this very place and location, the most idolatrous place perhaps in all of Israel at that time. I can only imagine how he bristled at the paganism and idolatry that surrounded him. And he asked the question, who do men say that I am? And they gave various different answers and then he personalized it. But who do you say that I am? And Peter responded, as you know, thou art the Christ. What a powerful declaration to be made in Caesarea Philippi, surrounded by paganism and idolatry. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Go to the next picture, please. Amen. Here is a closer picture of that cave. There's no water in it today. Amen. But that's the cave. Do you know what that cave was called? Some of you do know. You know what that cave was called? It was called in ancient times, the gates of hell. The gates of hell. It is no coincidence that Jesus is standing perhaps at this very spot. And he responds to Peter by saying, Thou art Peter, but I'm going to tell you something upon this rock. I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I don't think he was just speaking particularly of this of this paganis paganistic spot, amen, and the way they referred to it because that cave has no power, that cave has no ability, 
that false religions can throw against this church and prevail. Next picture, please. Next picture, please. Oops, that's where the Temple of Pan used to be. It's not there anymore. Next picture, please. Amen. This is also where other pagan temples were. They're not there anymore. But guess what? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is still in existence. And it's alive and well and thriving today. Come on, shout to the Lord, somebody. You know why the church is still in existence today? Because Jesus did not use inferior materials to build it. He wasn't interested in budgeting. He wasn't interested in skimping. He wasn't interested in doing what was logical and easy. He was offered several shortcuts, but he resisted them. The devil said, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. But oh no, he didn't take the easy route. I'm going to establish a church that will last for millenniums. If Solomon wouldn't settle for second best, Jesus Christ won't settle for second best. And if he's going to build a church that's going to last, bless your heart, it's going to have a firm foundation. It's going to have a firm foundation. Go to the next slide, if you will. The Bible says, Ephesians 2 and 20, we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You're looking at a whole corridor of those foundation stones that have lasted for thousands of years. Well, our foundation is even more sure than that one. It's the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Let me tell you what that means. It's this book right here. This book right here is our foundation. You can stand on it. You can depend on it. You can rely on it. You can build your life on it. I'm in love with the word of God today. I believe in the Word of God today. Throw away all your philosophies and theories and hypotheses and let's get back to the book. Let's get back to the book like never before. Praise the Lord. Let me tell you something, young man. Don't be intimidated to preach the basic principles of the Word of God and think it's going to be too boring. The people that find it too boring, they're not a part of this church. As those that are in love with the church that Jesus established, they still love the principles of the doctrine. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The Bible says, the Bible says, this is Jesus speaking in Matthew 21 and verse 42. The stone, the stone which the builders rejected. 
the same as become the head of the corner. <laughs> this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Peter preaching in the book of Acts, the fourth chapter says, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, that means chosen and rare, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Just as bringing these great stones would have been a logistical nightmare. I'm going to tell you something. Laying this chief cornerstone defied all logic. It required a virgin giving birth. It required God wrapping himself up in a human body and coming and dwelling among us. That'll never happen. God will never do it. Bless your heart. He did do it. It required him living among us. It required him going to Calvary. He won't go the distance. Yes, he did go the distance. He went to Calvary and he went into the grave. But thank God on the third day he came back out. And the Bible says in Ephesians, he ascended up above the highest heaven. And he descended into the lowest parts of the earth. That's covering a lot of territory, my friend. But let me tell you what the end result was. That chief cornerstone was laid. It was laid and put in its place. And it's still in its place today. And my Bible says for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So that this afternoon I can sing on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Can you worship that chief cornerstone today? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. It's got a firm foundation. And this foundation is made up of some pretty imposing stones. Make those look like pebbles. One of them is called the oneness of the Godhead. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That's a foundation stone, honey. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And it goes on to say, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father. That's a foundation stone. It's not a matter of semantics. It's the way it is. Ephesians 4 and 5, one Lord. What have I told you before? There are some verses that you shouldn't let the preacher quote by himself. You ought to quote it with him because this is part of our foundation. One Lord, 
one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. The Council of Nicaea tried to carve that stone up in three pieces to make it seem more reasonable and more logical. But it's not in three pieces. It's just one. There's just one God and his name is Jesus. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seed of angels preached unto the Gentiles believed on in the world and received up into glory for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily I'm proud to be standing on that foundation today you can dilly dally around with the Trinitarians if you want to you can get off of that firm foundation onto something that's shaky if you want to but I'm going to stay on one God when you have seen me you have seen the Father
Possibly. If you're extra spiritual, closer to God, more enlightened, a cut above, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and unto all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I understand there's some so-called one God preachers these days that are no longer saying the baptism of the Holy Ghost is essential. It's essential. Jesus wouldn't let his disciples do anything till they got it. Go tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. You gotta have this power. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. And if any have not the Spirit of Christ, he is. He is. He is. You gotta have it, honey. You gotta have it. Jesus told Nicodemus, you've got to be born of the water and the spirit. Or you'll not see the kingdom of God, neither will you enter into it. Some churches are trying to disciple people that have not been born again. Until you have been born again, you can't think right. You can't act right. You can't do right. You must. You must be born again. It is a foundation stone. Come on, praise him together, everybody. Hallelujah. Can you give me just a little more time? Just a little more time. Amen. Holiness is a foundation stone. I know they're figuring other stuff out now. Praise God. But, uh, but I read, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Is this all right? I'm just touching the foundation stones today. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate saith the Lord and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and will be a father unto you and you shall be my sons and saith saith Paul 
Peter say, saith the Lord Almighty. It's a foundation stone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. I said it's a foundation stone. Amen. They're tampering with the standards. Knocking the walls down. We don't need this. We don't need that. It takes a lot of malice. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of effort. Oh, but they strain and they groan. And finally down comes a stone. And down comes another stone. Amen. We're, we're removing the walls that separate us. We're tearing down the walls. You can tear down all the walls you want to, honey. But the foundation. I've got a message today for the progressives. For the intellectuals in highbrows. For the innovators. For the emerging church philosophers. For the liberals. And for the compromisers. 2 Timothy 2.19 Nevertheless the foundation of God standeth sure having this seal the Lord knoweth them that are his and and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity with it all you want rationalize facial hair rationalize marginal makeup rationalize trimming hair rationalize just a little bit of immodest attire tie clothes seductive whatever rationalize it go ahead and rationalize it but when you're done God's going to know who's his and who isn't that's the seal on the foundation A lot going on in society today. The Supreme Court has, in their minds, elevated themselves above that. Hallelujah. Amen. Abortion is okay. No, the foundation says, the apostles and prophets say, it's murder. We're not trying to be politically correct. We're trying to be biblically correct. We're trying to stay on the foundation. Homosexuality is an alternate lifestyle. It's not an alternate lifestyle. It's perversion. And it's sin. We don't want our choirs and mu musical instruments populated by homosexuals teaching Sunday school classes, 
sitting on pews with your sons and daughters. And some churches are filling up with them because they have shut their mouth and they're not preaching about it. But we need to preach about it. Same-sex marriage has been deemed to be legal now in America, designating the United States once and for all as a godless nation. But the marriage between husband and wife, that's part of the foundation, honey, that goes way back. And now then, the transgenders that are confused about their sexual identity you can be confused all you want to but if you were born a male you're male you were born female you're female you can mutilate yourself and change your looks and change your clothes it doesn't change anything and the supreme that they want to against those stones but none of it will stick because the foundation is still standing I'm trying to hurry today and close trying to hurry amen but this is one of my pet peeves you know it I touch on it every year but I just think I need to nonetheless and that is the role of preaching is part of our foundation. Amen. In the wisdom of God, amen, it pleased God that by the foolishness of preaching, now I know some have found a better way. It's more effective. It, it appeals to more people. It grows their churches better. So they say. So they say. Now, I'm not going to preach against dramas and singspiration so you can chill. And programs where you can chill. But that will never, ever, ever take the place of what I'm doing right now. And the day you think it does, you've stepped off the foundation. And these churches that are just converting their platforms to stages and taking the pulpits out because they found a better way. They left the foundation a long time ago. There's nothing like the unadulterated preaching of the Word of God. Clap your hands to the Lord one more time. And I believe, too, that worship is an integral part of the church that Jesus established. It was a big part of having church in the Old Testament. It still is in the New. And to me, there is no replacement for pure, sincere, heartfelt singing. I love to hear talented singing, but there's no replacement for the congregation lifting up their voices. 
and singing once like a bird in prison I dwelt no freedom from my sorrow I felt but Jesus came and listened to me and glory to God and glory to God he set me free Amen. I like a lot of the new songs, but let's not forget the old songs. That's a broken record. I know I say that every year too, but I still I haven't changed my mind. I'm staying on it. There's just something about that when people, when the people begin to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, the glory of the Lord comes down. Hallelujah. Singing that focuses on Jesus. Singing that puts the emphasis on Calvary and on the blood of Jesus Christ. Singing that talks about redemption. Singing that reminds us that this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And I can't, I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Anybody feel that way today? I'll fly away. Oh, glory. I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. But thank God it's not all going to be by way of death. Sunlight morning. We shall see Jesus in the air coming after you and me. Joy is ours to share. What rejoicing there will be when the saints shall rise headed for that jubilee yonder in the sky. Oh, what singing. Oh, what shouting on that happy morning when we all shall rise. Oh, what glory. We meet our blessed Savior in the skies. And oh, I want to see him look upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. And on the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares are past. I'm home at last, ever to rejoice. I'm quitting because I'm running out of soup. But as I get ready to close, I, mean, I, I believe this. Give me that last slide, please. That last picture. Oh, I wanted a picture of my hand on that ancient foundation stone. You know what I believe here this afternoon? That there are still people in 2016, in spite of all the wholesale compromise that's going on all around us, that are in love with that old foundation. And it's not all older folks. 
There's a lot of younger folks. Where's the younger folks that love this foundation? Where's the younger folks that love Jesus' name? One God, Holy Ghost, in filling, tongue-talking, holiness living. Not all young men are going to backslide. Not all young ladies are going to backslide. Not all preachers are going to compromise. Not all young preachers are going to be seduced by the intellectualism of the day. Somebody's going to put their hand on the foundation and say, I'm staying put. People who won't be bored with Acts 2.38 preaching, indifferent and looking for something new. The Bible says, and this is my final verse, Psalm 11 and 3, if the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? Before I surrender this microphone, I want us to do one thing. When they laid that foundation, they shouted, They didn't wait for the whole building. They just, there's the foundation. They shouted. Hold on now. They shouted. And I just wonder, this afternoon, in 2016 at Arkansas camp meeting, hey, in the last few weeks, they've shouted at the Republican and Democrat national conventions cheering on people that really how in the world how in the world did they ever get to where they are right now in the Olympics in Brazil they're cheering by the thousands for athletes they cheer in the coliseums and the sports events and the arenas I wonder if for just a few moments today not lip service, not music induced. All of you musicians want to come, they're welcome to come. But I wonder if those here this afternoon who are thankful to still be standing on that sure foundation will lift up your hands and your voices and shout
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pardon the personal reference today, but I looked over this pew back here and I saw my grandmother. She's 88 years old. She's the last grandparent I have alive. I love her dearly. I thank God for her. Hallelujah. Grandma, thank you for loving this foundation. Hallelujah. Thank you for supporting my grandpa when others didn't like it. Weren't appreciative of the stands he made. Hallelujah. We're standing in a building today that was, that was built on the backs of mighty people. My grandma and grandpa Holmes, they love this truth. They stood for it. The father who's behind me today, hallelujah, has loved this truth. I'm just going to tell us of a younger generation, we have a responsibility to put our hands on this foundation and hold on fast. Hallelujah. I know popular opinion may be against it, but it's still the right thing. It still works. Hallelujah. It still works. Hallelujah. It stood the test of time. Hallelujah. The fires, the storms, the floods, they couldn't destroy the foundation. It still stands. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for this message today. This is what we needed to hear today. Hallelujah. We, we got to be encouraged. We got to be encouraged to keep on pressing forward, holding fast to the truth of God's word. Hallelujah. Why don't we lift our hands and thank the Lord for this message? Come on, let's thank the Lord for Brother Alviar's ministry. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for your word today. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, 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 thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah, thank you, Brother Alviar, for preaching the word of the Lord to us today, we sincerely appreciate it, we love it, we're thankful for it.